Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacker Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to frito to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of The Only Podcast. I am your co-host, Austin Smith, joined as always by your other co-host, John Kirby. You can find us on Twitter at ACSmith06 and at John underscore Kirby. Today is Tuesday, December 1st, and John, look at the time. It might just be football season again. Hey, I was ready to pretend it wasn't happening. They could they could roll the balls out and have games, put on the uniforms, have a nice time. It doesn't matter to me. But all of a sudden, I'm back, baby. We're back. We are we are all the way back, I think. Um, and we're going to get to that win later on. We want to save that for because uh, there's so much random football stuff to talk. So we're going to save that for after the break. But, um, yeah, I mean, it feels good to have two teams again. Um, I think in a, in a bit of a twist of irony, MSU football team beating the number eight team uh, in the country in Northwestern. And then lo and behold, a couple of days later, the basketball team jumps all the way up to number eight in the country uh, in their own right. And I think what we wanted to do here was start off with with hoops because, I mean, listen, they're our favorite. Let's just call a spade a spade. You can beat Northwestern as many times as you want. We're still a basketball first podcast. Um, John had two good wins last week against Eastern Michigan and Notre Dame. You want to? I'm going to let you do the honors on Eastern because it just feels like the right thing to do. Hey, man, I appreciate that. You know, um, Foster Lawyer got his. <laughs> and and you know what? I'd like to address a few things because there's a lot of really great things that happened in this game. 83-67 to 67 win against Eastern Michigan. Um, Eastern came in shorthanded, only had eight uh, kids on that were able to play, unfortunately, because of some contact tracing COVID-related things. And I think we're going to see a lot of that, actually, Austin as the season progresses. Um, so it's great that MSU is like 12 deep. Um, but we'll, we'll come back to that. Um, I was just really impressed with this team overall, uh, but most specifically Foster Lawyer, for whatever reason, just no matter how, what he does, I feel like he's going to get picked on by his own. And I don't understand it. And I think it's okay to, for everyone to just, embrace him doing well. It doesn't have to be critiqued every time and what he isn't doing or what he should be doing or can't do against other teams. Just enjoy it. He's one of ours. Yeah. That's fine. That's all I'll say about that. I mean, I think, listen, what's nice to know about Foster is that is, is the kid can shoot. I mean, downright, you give him an open look, doesn't matter against what team, 
if he's going against his zone, kid can shoot. So it is nice. While he may never be your starting point guard, he may never be, you know, Mr. Basketball, that type of guy that people expected once upon a time. He's a weapon. MSU has struggled against zone defenses for a long time. And we saw it t- two different times last week where the presence of not only Foster, really more against Eastern than Notre Dame, but then uh, Joey Hauser in the middle, um, you know, made a real difference for how MSU dealt with the zones. And then we'll stick with Eastern for a second here. Um, Joey Hauser, despite not, you know, really showing some, some early uh, jitters, I, to me, he lived up to the billing. Maybe not as much in East, against Eastern as Notre Dame, but everything you talked about with him from being uh, a dynamic passer of the ball, um, a, a reasonable shooter, uh, really good around the rim, rebounding. You know, he he's brought more to the table, and I think any Michigan State fan, even the most optimistic, has to be at least satisfied with, with how he played. I think the thing that really impressed me about him was uh, his rebounding ability. I mean, I mean, yeah. realistically, a very real worry for anybody coming into this year was the loss, not only, again, obviously Cassius Winston, but Xavier Tillman on the boards. I mean, Xavier Tillman was an absolute beast on the boards. You've read off his career stats many times, um, and it felt like that was potentially the biggest red flag with this whole team. But Hauser, at least through two games, has done a really good job of filling that gap. Um, so that was... That was impressive. And I think the other really fun thing about this game, two fun things. First, um, how good did it feel to see Jeremy Langford back playing? Not only playing, but like not looking like he's been off for two years. Well, I know you meant Josh Langford, but. Uh, yep. No, well, listen, Jeremy was there in spirit. That's right. Yeah, you know, tune-up games are so important. Um, They're important for us, too, obviously. (laughs) But, you know, we saw Josh shake off some rust. We saw Joey have a couple (laughs) passes, and that that hit Tom Izzo right in the chest, which was nice. (laughs) Um, But you shake that off, right? And and they both transitioned really well into their um, uh, next game against Notre Dame. And that was kind of the difference between Notre Dame, this was their first game. And it was pretty apparent. Um, so I think it was just really important that Michigan State have that tune-up. Um, before we transition to that Notre Dame game, just a, a couple of other call-outs. Um, Gabe Brown is an absolute sniper. And that kid can be as good as he wants to be. And when I say that, I mean he has a lot of things that you can't teach. I mean, he can jump through the roof. Um, he is so long, you know, there, there is a place for him professionally somewhere. If I think he just needs to become a little bit more of a dominant ball, uh, ball player. And that's just maybe not his role on this team, but that's awesome to see like next year. And I'm looking ahead, he, and what that roster that's coming in. I just, he's just such a sniper and such like Foster, downtown Bubba Brown is just, it's so nice to have. I think one thing about him as well, and one way that, you know, if if you're, you're asking, okay, how can he carve out a bigger role for himself on this team? I think it all starts as with, as most Tom Izzo players do uh, with defense. I mean, he has, like you said, some things that you simply can't teach from a, from a physical standpoint. One of those being this kid is just, 
has tremendous uh, length, as they say. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and you can't really t- teach that wingspan, that athleticism, and it, it really should be something that plays to his benefit um, big time. I mean, this team is in need of wing defenders. You know, obviously Aaron Henry, I think, showed that he's probably the best all-around player on the team uh, in these first two games just with his performance, no, nothing jumping off the score sheet, but just you could tell, man, there is just a level of confidence and expertise out there when he plays. There's no reason Gabe Brown can't be a similarly effective player in a lot of different ways. Um, but like you said, his his shooting, I think, is probably one of the things. Shooting and defense, like he, you know, you kind of said it professionally, uh, there's a role for him. Three and D wings are a hot, hot commodity, not only in the NBA, but in many, many leagues around the world. And there's no reason that Gabe Brown can't be a successful um, three and D type wing. He has every every piece, like you said. So, uh, but it starts with with doing the little things and carving, continuing to carve out that role uh, in East Lansing before he starts thinking about anything professionally. But all in all, yeah, I would say an, an impressive couple of early games for for Bubba. Well, you just nailed it. You know, the first game he was hot. The second he wasn't, but played more minutes because he had five steals. Yep. And I mean, I don't remember the last time a Michigan State player had that many steals in a game. Um, so overall, I think the other jump thing that jumped out to to me was the the fact that this team was just had twelve blocks against Notre Dame, yeah. had nine steals. That's just usually Michigan State's defense is kind of camp, camps down and forces you into tough shots, you know, and and kills you on the on the boards doesn't allow you to get a lot of second chance looks. They're doing that and <laughs> not even p- putting teams in uncomfortable positions, something we haven't seen. I think a lot of it has to do with just the depth um, and in length, as you mentioned of this team, it's, it bo- it's bothering these two, at least in these first two games, it's bothering the opponent's offense. It pushes them out a little further from the basket. And um, yeah, I, I was just, it, very impressed by this team defense. And then the other piece, I was very, very concerned about, um, you know, losing Cassius and Xavier's passing ability to create shots. This team is already distributing the ball to each other better than any team we've seen. Now, again, it's been two games, but it's not one guy. It's it's every guy who's passing the ball around. And that's just, like, even better news. I am just was blown away by the team assist. 26 against Notre Dame. Yeah, I think twofold, a little bit on each of those points. Um, Maddie Sissoko and Marcus Bingham are, are very real, uh, defensive weapons. And I think we've seen a much more confident Marcus Bingham. I'm not sure I've seen, I'm not, I couldn't tell you for sure. I don't know that he's shot a three yet. And right. last week he was the very quick trigger, you know, sometimes obviously making it, but not at a great percentage. Looks like he's taking a little bit more time offensively, being smart, had a couple huge rejections. And, you know, we've been begging for the last two years for him to just become that shot blocking monster that, you know, he can be. And uh you've seen it through these first two games. He just seems a little bit more confident, a little bigger, a little more mature. Um, which is really exciting because there, I think there was always that part of, of the MSU fan that was like, uh, this is, you know, you look at Marcus Bingham, you think maybe this is just one of those dudes who, who never quite figures it out, but, uh, he seems to be on his way to proving people wrong. Big test this week against Duke, but we'll talk about that a little more in a bit. Um, and then additionally, the, um, you talked about the passing and I think obviously, like you said, huge worry and very early, 
But I think we might just need to accept that this is this is just kind of Michigan State's program. Sharing the ball, pushing on the break, having multiple ball handlers. Even though it was a very Cassius Winston, obviously heavy offense the last couple of years, it was more of a because you had it rather than because you, you know, obviously you did need it quite a bit. But uh, obviously there there are guys on this roster that that that's that rubbed off on, and mm-hmm. uh, that's just kind of you know maybe that's the blessing of Cassius Winston. That's the thing he leaves behind in his his additional legacy beyond all the wins and losses is you know he he really made this program turn the corner into one of the elite you know, ball movement teams in the country, because I'll be honest, the offense doesn't look a whole lot different uh, through two games. If anything, it looks more balanced. It, everyone looks a little bit more confident and comfortable. And obviously, like you said, early season, maybe not the two best teams, but you know, listen, this roster and these group of guys had every excuse in the book uh, at their disposal for a slow start. Yep. Instead, I think everyone can come out and say, you know, through two games, uh, honestly, responding to some of the questions better than I think I certainly expected. And I think that kind of takes us into um, the upcoming games because, you know, I know that sitting here at the beginning, you know, just a, just a few weeks ago, uh, I saw Duke on the schedule, and I was admittedly a little nervous. Mm-hmm. Duke, obviously, they are they are who they are. Um, you know, great team, and we'll talk a little more specifically about that here. But um, at least sitting going into this game, uh, after these first two, I, I got to say, I, I feel a lot better about Michigan State's chances than I did, like I said, just not all that long ago. So so let's unpack w- what changed. You know, one, we saw depth that seems to be working for Michigan State. 39 bench points against a big boy team in Notre Dame. And so we know we know points can come from a lot of different people. Duke, on the other hand, might be more talented. Maybe not. I don't even know. Certainly, the accolades on their on their uh, bench, one of the best recruiting classes of all time, uh, yeah. coming in. But in their first game, they were very very mediocre, beating Coppin State. Um, I think eighty one to seventy one, and and Coach K didn't even play all of these, you know, five-star kids. And the problem for Coach K, and I know it's one game, everybody, I know, but the problem for him so far is in that game, his best combination, his best lineup on offense is drastically different than what it is on defense. So he's in a little bit of a spot right now where the guys he has, you know, their strengths are very one-sided. And then finding a combination is just going to be, you know, his problem. And um, but yeah, I'll let you take take a take it away for who their best players are and who some of those those uh, five star guys are that we're going to see tomorrow night. Yeah, it's a really interesting roster. I think this is one of those things where when you're a program like a Duke, a Kentucky, uh, you know, one of these programs that has a lot of freshman one and done type turnover, you end up with some really weird rosters like really strangely balanced because I look at this Duke team and you almost see two you see two different chunks of players one chunk is the quote-unquote experienced group which is really five guys that are sophomores and juniors and then you've got a six-man 
recruiting class, all of all freshmen, obviously coming in, the lowest of which is rated was rated number sixty two in the country. So you have like this super dynamic young group of guys, and then you know, quote unquote veterans, but but really there is not any significant veteran talent on this team that you can look at and say, oh, these guys have been in every tough situation there is because even for guys like Matthew Hurt and Wendell Moore, two sophomores who came in as four or five star recruits last year and decided to stick around for their sophomore years, they didn't play in an ACC tournament. They didn't play in an NCAA tournament. They are guys that played regular season basketball last year. And yes, obviously playing for Duke, playing in the ACC, tremendous, you know, games to be played there, but this isn't your typical group of like ironclad sophomores. And neither of these guys were among, you know, the top handful of players on the team. So you're looking for two things, big steps forward from one or both of them. And then one of these freshmen to come in and just be stars. And uh, it looks like they've got at least one star in Jalen Johnson, who was went off for 19, 19 and five assists against Coppin state. That alone tells you, okay, he's talented because yeah, it's Coppin state, but to be able to do numbers like that means you, you have a specific, uh, talent level that so, you can't really uh, under, understate. So Austin, it's funny because you and I, little peek under the hood for listeners, take, uh, chicken scratch notes here just so we can have them for the podcast. And we had both managed to put down 19, 19 and five, no typo. We both wrote no typo. And I think that is indicative. Of, like that's an insane thing that yeah, 19 so rebounds in your first game. Like, yeah, it, it's, it's, it's a number that means – I just think he's not going to do that every game. Kid right. might not average double-digit rebounds, but mm-hmm. to be able to get 19 rebounds in a game, yeah. set yeah. five assists and 19 points, says something about your talent level. He's a top-10 recruit for a reason out of a very good recruiting class. Um, so that that alone is, is huge for them. Another kid, another freshman, DJ Stewart, number 29 kid in the class, uh, had 22 points, nine rebounds, went four of nine for three. He's six foot two and he had nine rebounds. So there's that. Um, and then they have Jeremy Roach, who's a point guard, number 25 in the country, who checks in at six feet. Didn't do much of note in this game and neither did the other three recruits. They have three other guys that are in the, uh, front court. Mark Williams, Cameron Brakefield and Henry Coleman. They played a combined total nine minutes. Um, and so that, you know, hard to read into anything they did. But when I look at this game and I look at the players here, I, a couple of key questions come to, to my mind. Um, first, from a, from a Michigan State standpoint, what do they do with Matthew Hurt? I think this is the big first test without Xavier Tillman because this is the first plus-plus offensive big that MSU is going to have played. Um They've answered the rebounding questions without Tillman. I think, you know, so that that makes you feel a little bit better. They've answered the block shots question, so you know they can kind of do that. Now it's the one-on-one, you know, type of defense. Because uh, Hurt, he's not going to really post you up and do too much to you there, but this kid can stretch the floor. He's a, he's a really good shooter, shot nearly 40% from three last year. Uh, I don't anticipate his workload going up uh, here this season for the Blue Devils. Um, so that, again... If you look pound for pound, you're probably thinking Marcus Bingham's going to get some some time here. I would imagine Thomas Kithier plays a little bit on him. 
uh, Marble, Sissoko, uh, probably even some Joey Hauser. Um, this is going to be one where MSU's depth is going to potentially really work in their favor. But I think the first puzzle to solve is, is what do you do with, with Matthew Hurt? And then the next one is, you know, again, defensively, Stewart and Jalen Johnson, those guys scored a combined, you know, over 40 points in their first games. I mean, between the two of them, they had, it looks like 41 points, 27 <laughs> rebounds. Like, yeah. a, you know, what do you do against them? Uh, and I think the answer for MSU is Aaron Henry and Rocket Watts. I mean, these are, these are now the big boy moments for, for both of them. Aaron Henry obviously has answered the call time and time again. So, you know, but, but this is a really big test for him. And I think you, you get into the, the rocket foster back and forth. Um, now is when Tom Izzo is going to have a real choice to make. And to me, I don't think it's a, it's too much of a choice despite what foster did in the first game, despite looking much more confident. I think this is rocket Watts. Time to shine. Stepped up with 13 and six against, uh, Notre Dame. I, I played primary ball handler a lot of that time. I'd expect a similar ask of him from Tom Izzo, uh, because you're just going to need that from him and you're going to need him to bring it on both sides of the ball. Yeah. I think, I think it's, we all, we are all kind of on the same page with that. And, and there are certainly areas where lawyer can come in and play situationally. Um, not just in this game, but in any game when you're, you know, one of the best shooters in the conference. Yep. The, the other piece is, you know, while every single player played the last two games, I, I don't want to say Izzo has figured out his rotation, but it's become a little clearer. The guys generally played the same amount of minutes both games. And I think, you know, as you mentioned with, with lawyer maybe going to take a few minutes, shave some off of uh, what we've seen so far. You probably will see the same with uh, Thomas Kithier because what we have seen, you know, digging a little deeper, uh, Marcus Bingham Jr. Hasn't just been great on, you know, offense in his low post game. You mentioned he's hasn't shot a three yet, which is probably a good thing uh, <laughs> unless it's been drastically improved and we haven't seen it yet. He's been fantastic in the post as well. And he has the highest um, plus minus average on the team right now. Uh, in, in Aaron Henry's, um, second. For what it's worth, Foster Lawyer is third, and I think it's important to note that, um, you know, cause it, I think people saw him get bodied and posted up a little bit in the Notre Dame game, but just because he didn't score didn't mean that his plus minus, um, was, was hit drastically. Um, and for those who, who aren't familiar with that means, it means, uh, how, how the team scoring was when you were on the floor. And, uh, for, for Marcus Bingham, he averaged, when he plays for those past two games, Michigan State has, um, scored 16 and a half more points on average when he plays, which is incredible. Yeah, that's so, great. And Aaron Henry has six, is 16. Now, that's going to always vary with the type of opponent you play. Duke is uh, very much uh, a peer to Michigan State. I believe Duke is opening as a four-point favorite, which, sure. I mean, I, I don't know how you can even put a line on this game quite yet, but it's not our job. The one thing that also might be of interest is, well, we're talking plus-minus. Uh, Joey Hauser, the worst on the team, um, and I think that has to improve, obviously, if this team's ceiling wants to go up. But the other place where he can he can help this team, especially if 
Tom Izzo doesn't feel like Foster Lawyer can play in this type of profile of game is Joey Hauser is probably the best ball handler as a forward we've seen in a while. And you want to take pressure off of Rocket Watts, mm-hmm. he can certainly bring the ball up the court. And um, you mentioned also, you know, how is Michigan State going to match up with Duke? You know, Tom Izzo might say, how are you going to match up with me, you know, Coach K? Yeah. Because he has he has the ability to go really big. He has the ability to go really small. He has the ability to go all defense. He has the ability to go all offense. You know, he can – Tom's got – what can do whatever he wants with this roster, and it's just a blessing. Um, for me, I think Malik Hall is going to take a huge – take a huge challenge in this game and on defense, he can guard many positions and he's going to be called on to do that. In addition to Aaron Henry, who has to do that every night. Yeah. And I think that's one thing that's emerged early is this team. And we, we knew it coming in, but it's, it's not just functional depth, but it, it's really kind of like plus depth. Like it's so funny when I think about the roster and I know this is the opposite of you, but like Malik Hall doesn't even really pop into my mind when I think about like the, the impact players. He won two huge games for Michigan State last year. This kid is really good. Um, and he provides a, a, kind of that, you know, jigsaw piece that, that a lot of teams don't have. Um, and like you said, it really, I'll be honest. I, I think that Michigan State, they're, they're not the favorite in this game because it's Duke, because it's, you know, on the road, because of all the, all the, all the recruits. And, and that's fine. I don't think that anybody should be, you know, upset about that. Mm-hmm. But, um, I really like the way that this game shapes up for Michigan State. Yeah. Uh, Duke does not have much experience. Michigan State has a, all, all only experience. I mean, they're really not playing any freshman for any type of significant role. So it's Michigan State has a significant edge in experience and and tough games played because it's a lot of not just sophomores but juniors that are really contributing for Michigan State. Um they have I think the matchup in terms of versatility they have more at their disposal. Um I think Duke's probably a little guard heavier obviously, but you know, everything from two through five, Michigan State's got one or two answers for anything Duke's going to throw at them. Duke, at least to this point, is is shown an inclination to, uh, and their roster really suggests that they are going to want to get out and run and try to push the pace because they're smaller and they have they are more guard heavy. MS, that's, again, like Cassius Winston turned Michigan State into a good passing team, I think he might have done the same thing for them with the fast break. Because they didn't play any different in these last two games. They get the ball and they push. And that was one of the things that jumped out about Joey Hauser to me is this dude loves to push on the break. I yep. love it. I mean, Absolutely. he is he is a Draymond Green, I'll invoke the name, type of yep. offensive with what he can do from a playmaking perspective. Uh, Duke likes to play more zone. MSU shown in the last two games they can play against a zone. We know they can play man-to-man. We know they have the ability to shoot. Um there's not a lot that Duke is going to uh, throw at Michigan State that, that they're not going to be able to handle. I think in years past, maybe MSU didn't have the one-on-one defenders to deal with a Jalen Johnson. I mean, you remember yeah. Mark, Marvin Bagley before he went sure. out of that game like a handful of years ago, just killing Michigan State. Um, last year, even Trey Jones killing Michigan State. So yeah. maybe they didn't have that piece. This year, they've got Rocket Watts and Aaron Henry, and and ah. You're going to have a hard time finding any individual defender better than Aaron Henry in the entire country. And then Rocket Watts was guarding the other team's best defensive 
player or often, excuse me, best offensive guard for the majority of last season as well. I mean, between those two, and it's not really fair to expect this from Josh Langford, but once upon a time, Josh Langford was their quote unquote stopper. I mean, this, this team really has a lot of things that they can do. And, and I honestly, if I'm Duke, I'm looking at this game and thinking, we're going to have to shoot the lights out in order to win because I think they're going to struggle on the boards because they don't have the size. I think they're going to struggle with, with pace or Michigan state's not going to struggle with their pace, I should say. And um yeah, I mean, it, it, this is, I think Michigan state shapes up really, really well in this game. I don't think there's a big talent discrepancy as there may have been in years past. And style wise, I, I think it plays into MSU's hands in a lot of ways. And, and let's not be coy about it either. The fact that there will be no Cameron crazies in a game at Duke is a massive deal. Yeah. That's a massive deal for Michigan State. So to to be able to communicate and do all those other things, you know, it's not your typical road Duke atmosphere. Yeah, and you know, the thing that Duke usually likes to do is, you know, hurry you up and and get you playing a little too fast. Mm-hmm. Duke turned it over twenty two times against Coppin State. Oof. That is the fifth most in the last seven years for a Duke team. That's a, that's, that's a lot. they've played a lot of games, okay? So, and you couple that with Michigan State's um, seeming ability to turn people over all of a sudden, and maybe, I think the, the takeaway is Michigan State can play that fast, and mm. and you know the turnovers aren't as egregious as they have been in years past so far. You know, I don't I want to get ahead of myself, but right. yeah, I think Michigan State's got to come into this game feeling at very least more confident than Duke is at this point. I think one thing that this will be, you know, this will be to me the the game that potentially, I don't know, kind of like tells me for sure, but I think this team might be an elite defensive team. Like not just a good one, but but like an, an elite potential to be an elite defensive team because – between the size and the the team defense and the individual defenders, I mean, yeah, it, it's going to be really tough to score on Michigan State uh, this season. I mean, I mean, it, it's going to be. I don't know that they're they're not the Virginia pack line, maybe not even you know Wisconsin, but I I would hesitate to call it Michigan State anything less than a very good defensive team. And and listen, they might go out and prove that. They belong in the elite category. I mean, this is as good a test, you know, as you're one of the better tests you're going to get from an individual standpoint uh, is, is always Duke. They're a great measuring stick. So uh, I think it'll be very, very interesting. But I tell you what, I I like Michigan State's chances in this game. Absolutely. And, and I think, you know, the one thing that Michigan State's been able to rely on, not just these last two games, but the past last year, is Aaron Henry does all the little things. He just seemingly is able to just fill up the stat sheet regardless. Mm-hmm. And sometimes he'll have those 20 point games. You don't even know how. Right. Um, but he also is doing things. He's rebounding at a, a you know, last game. Let's see. Yeah. He had eight boards. Hauser had 16, by the way, which right. I didn't know that happened. Um, that's what I'm saying. Henry. It's, yeah. The stuff they're doing, the things that they're playing in these first two games to me, they played, you know, uh, um, I would say Hauser's silly turnovers aside, they played like a mid-season Michigan State team. They played like they 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 are experienced. I think that's kind of what you're seeing is that 
There's a lot. I mean, honestly, with the exception of Malik Hall and Rocket Watts, that's two of the nine guys in your rotation, it's all juniors and seniors. I mean, it, it's it's actually mostly juniors. I don't even know how many seniors there are. It's it's insane. And this team, you can you kind of forget when you don't have a roster like that for a while, and MSU hasn't. Just how incredibly valuable that expert, like you know that that comfortability is, especially early in a season, um, makes a big difference. And I think that's one of those things is they are you know they're they're playing like like vets, and they're going up against a Duke team that is not. The, I'll put it this way too: the veterans that Duke does have uh, are not anything. You know, you're talking about Jordan Goldwire and Joey Baker, like guys that might combine for five points a night. Uh, it, the, their veteran role players are substantially less um, talented, frankly, than than Michigan State. So I I don't know. Maybe we were underestimating that. I think I personally think I may have been underestimating that this entire time. That's fair. And the ace in the hole here is Josh Langford's, and <laughs> who has uh, seen some shit, man. You know, like he, he's, <laughs> he's been around a lot. Fair to say. Yeah. Uh, so we're excited for that one Tuesday evening, um, strap in friends. And then we get a few days off and the show goes on a home game against Detroit Mercy on Big Ten Network. Maybe the so, bigger game. <laughs> well, you know, gotta, <laughs> you gotta celebrate the state and, and hold it down, I suppose. Uh, the, the, the Titans were eight and 23 last year. Um, and this will be, you know, we talked before how it was Notre Dame's first game and you could kind of tell, um, this will be Detroit's first game and it'll be Michigan state's fourth. I think that's pretty damning for Detroit. The reason they had three games canceled, I think they had a, uh, you know, tournament that they were going to and it all got thrown out. Um, but I talked about this, this team just briefly on our preview pod, but I think it's worth noting about their best player because he is a delight to watch. Even in, in an 8 and 23 season, you might get season tickets or, or buy whatever package you need to do to tune in and watch this kid play. Mike Smith's kid, Antoine Smith, who was homeschooled, so he didn't have any real, uh, a tape in high school is one of, if not the best scorer in college basketball. In just two seasons, he already has over 1,500 points and is already, again, and after two seasons, 13th in school history and third in three-pointers in Detroit Mercy history with 233. His 3.88 three-point field goals per game is currently fifth best all-time in the NCAA, and I'm sure it's going to go up because there's he has more than the green light. He's the only one that really should be shooting out. There is no light. He's he is in in the the. It's it's more of just it's like a blinking yellow. It's like just go. Like we don't okay, just go. There's no stop light. There's no stop sign. Just drive a thousand miles through the. <laughs> Please speed up. Thousand miles an hour. Um, <laughs> yeah, your favorite stat. I'm going to read off. Antoine Smith has scored double figures in all 60 games he's ever played. That's insane. You told me that one before this, before the pod, and I was like, "What? Like that's 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 crazy. Like that level of consistency." Uh, nope. is yeah. No off games, and I'll t- I'll do one even better. In forty nine of the sixty games, that's over. That's eighty two percent of the games he's played. He had at least seventeen points. 
just wild. He just gets buckets. And we talked about this is a kid that will play professionally somewhere because if you can put the ball in the bucket the way he can, it's incredible. Um, and he's a little guy. He's six foot, 165. Yeah, he's just, it's, it's, maybe he uses that to his advantage because no one maybe takes him seriously when they walk on the court and they're like, no way, this kid's going to put 30 on my head. And then before you know it, he already Not did. so fast, my friend. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Unfortunately for him, you know, it's, he's not surrounded by much. Uh, the only other players maybe of note are Tarian Thompson, who was a four star recruit. Um, but this is his third stop. He was at Syracuse and then Seton Hall. 6'11, 250, big guy. Um, I'm not sure how capable he is offensively, but certainly a power five. Uh, body. He sat out last year, so we'll see um, what he can bring to the table for Detroit. And then finally, if in case you forgot, John Calipari's son, Brad Calipari. Yes. Yes. Brad Calipari transferred from Kentucky to Detroit Mercy of all places. And he's not just a, he's not just there for fun. He's literally probably their third best player. Like I think that's fantastic. Like if you're going to be terrible, mm-hmm. You know that, like, hey, this is this this isn't gonna go great. Mm-hmm. I think having a walking bucket and Brad Swag as your two big pieces of like, this is why I watch my team. It's about as good as it's gonna get. Like, if I know it's gonna be awful, mm-hmm. I want to watch Brad Calipari just jack shots, and I want to watch Antoine uh, just like launch from all angles and get buckets. You could lose by a hundred every game, and I still think that would be like marginally entertaining basketball. <laughs> well, you um, find out. I think the other marginally entertaining thing, if you're near a device, you can Google things and want to laugh. Brad Calipari's ink is um, oh, yeah. a lot and questionable. Uh, his tats. Yeah, he's made some choices. Let's put it that way. <laughs> yeah, uh, I mean. You can also look up just his general his fits that he was pulling off at Kentucky on the bench, oh, yeah. the chains. I mean, yep. I would love to be in in a conversation between Brad and John because I just can only imagine what it was, what it's like. Like, because John Calipari is essentially Fred Flintstone, and <laughs> I can't imagine him having a conversation with his own son. It's got to be wild. Um. Yeah. Well, wild enough that. Brad left Kentucky and <laughs> to go play basketball in Detroit. I I, I can't wrap my head around that one, but um, yeah, maybe just wanted PT. I don't know. Again, it's a decision. <laughs> it was certainly a decision. It's, it was a decision. He's made some decisions. That much we can give him credit for. I can tell you that Detroit is not good. Um, I think that's not made, Kentucky. Is that what you're saying? Pretty yeah. The drop-off from Duke to Detroit will be um, quite steep. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, it doesn't mean we shouldn't watch the game. In fact, we might want to enjoy that one even more. Um, So that gives us the preview. Should we take a a commercial break before we hit the football? John, we can always try. Give it a shot. Okay. Here we go. Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. 
With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to Cars.com. It's magical. They were back. All right. Okay. Good to be. Wow. Chaos. Chaos in college football. And Michigan State right in the center of it, right where we're used to. I I don't I can't remember a more chaotic weekend. And a lot of it had nothing to do with the scores from around the country. Like the Michigan State Northwestern was kind of the the biggest one. But yeah. right now the Big Ten is in absolute uh, disarray. Yeah, I mean, if, if you want to just kind of sit back and bask in the glow of the craziness, just go to the standings. Because yep. it seems like no one's played the same amount of games. Nope. Everybody's lost except for Ohio State. And they might not even, as we'll talk about, be able to play in their own conference's championship game because they haven't played enough games. It's bananas what's happening. And I think it it's it's very fitting that Michigan State managed to contribute to that in a significant way on Saturday by uh, somehow upending number – I think actually the somehow in that sentence should be uh, upending the somehow number eight yeah. Northwestern Wildcats. Um, I, where, where do we start? Okay, I'll, I'll, I'll start where, we, where everyone should start at the beginning. And uh-huh. <laughs> Northwestern stinks. I'm going to say it. Strong agree. And I don't want to take away from Michigan State's win because, you know, it's a good win. It's a big win. It's a national headline win. But I think we found Northwestern got a little ahead of themselves Mm -hmm. in the fighting Reese Davises played like the fighting Reese Davises. There's nothing that really impressed me. They were fine. And that was just, uh, they, they were so unimpressive. I think the thing that was the most eye-opening is that Michigan State did something they hadn't done all season, and that was run the ball effectively. And they did it against the allegedly best run defense that Michigan State had faced to date. It was quite the the 180 from what we had seen. And shout-out to your boy. Yes. Say it. B-B-B. And some guff this year, and I've I've heard enough of it. He's deserved some of it, but like I, I will agree. I think that was the thing that jumped out more than anything is that Michigan State. I, I think it, it is a indicative, a symptom of a larger, not an issue, but a a larger problem. And the problem was we weren't seeing improvement from week to week from this right. football team. Right. Uh, what I love loved about this game is that I felt like not only on the field but in the booth, you know, where, where play callers are, we saw a genuine difference. I mean, between Elijah Collins uh, and Connor Hayward, not only did the running plays look more effective because, you know, schematically they were more effective, these guys looked like patient runners, which is not something we had seen specifically from, from Connor – 
much in his career, let alone this season. So, well, in Austin, they did this again. I'm baffled to how Michigan State went from near dead last in the entire country in rushing offense. They were 114th, uh, excuse me, 124th, averaging less than 74 yards per game. And after the first quarter, I think they had 79. And they did all of it without Jordan Simmons, who is the team's leading rusher to date. Yeah. It was just a complete turnaround. And none of it really came on, you know, a gadget, you know, sweep reverse or anything. These were just hard earned yards with two decent, you know, running backs. And it was all the offensive line figuring it out. And I think you mentioned also guys being a little more patient or smart with hitting the holes, which was great. The third thing was Rocky Lombardi was getting smart QB draws called. I was going to say th- that to me was maybe the biggest sign of finally of improvement was a they made the right decision in going with Rocky Lombardi. Mm-hmm. Uh, Rocky Lombardi, you you knew just based on the base kind of offense, excuse me, defense that Northwestern ran is going to be a lot of they they have traditionally, uh, especially this year, really just sell out to stop the run, and you thought. What I was, I think everybody was worried about was, okay, either Michigan, it's possible that no matter who the quarterback is, MSU is just going to beat their heads into the wall and try to run the ball, you know, the same three yards in a cloud of dust that they have early this season and it's not going to go anywhere. Or they're going to start Peyton Thorne, who, you know, uh, we saw it with Peyton Ramsey, bit of a noodle arm. Uh, Peyton Thorne not looking like he has the strongest arm either. So, or you're, you know, so the worry was you're going to start this new freshman and he's going to play right into the the heart of what um, Northwestern was defense was looking to do. And I think the encouraging thing was a not only was the right decision made from a coaching perspective, but b they started to finally utilize. Uh, his strengths as a runner and he has strengths as a runner. You've seen it time and time again, maybe not on, he's not an accurate enough passer to utilize a, a rollout from a, you know, rollout and throw type of opportunity nearly enough. But um, he did roll out and scramble. He got design runs called for him. All of those things that, you know, you add a little bit of an element of, of misdirection or keeping the defense guessing and look what it does for an offense. It's crazy. It was nice to see Jay Johnson do the thing that I think we had hoped Dave Warner would have done for years and actually used, you know, kind of zigged when people thought he was going to zag. Um, and instead of running east to west, actually run north and south. So, uh, I was very happy and impressed. And honestly, too, uh, not, not just, I mean, the offense obviously is going to get the, the credit because once again, Rocky Lombardi made some big plays down the field. The big touchdown opener to Speedy Naylor delivered a beautiful ball on the touchdown to Jaden Reed. Um, but I think the defense deserves a lot of credit. I mean, oh. it's not like Northwestern is this big dynamic offense. I mean, we were kind of saying it last week on the preview, like they, it's a little bit of uh snake oil so far, maybe. Um, just in their 5-0 and start. But MSU's defense came out and straight up answered the call. They shut down what Northwestern had done with a good offensive line, and that was run the ball. MSU did, came out and did a really, really nice job. Yeah, that's fair. And, you know, Northwestern was averaging less than 26 points a game, buoyed heavily by that 43-point <laughs> uh, first game against Maryland. Um, they can't score. And, frankly, we out Northwestern Northwestern. Like the, 
the offense for Michigan State scored 23 points because there was the end of touchdown at the end of the game, which was yeah. a perfect way to end, honestly. Um, and ruined an over under of 42 and a half. If anyone had that, I'm sorry. <laughs> oh man, what a bad beat. Brutal. Um, yeah, I think if anyone had 43 and a half, you were, uh, you're in trouble. But, um, going back to, we just out Northwestern, Northwestern. I mean, you, you were talking about Jay Johnson figuring out how to use Rocky Lombardi. Um, he can make exactly one throw and <laughs> it fortunately goes for six most of the time. And, the weirdest thing is if I can't find a spray chart of his um, passes, but he may be the only quarterback in the history of people creating spray charts that has a more accurate with balls 20 yards down the field yeah. than within 10. Truly. Um, it's confounding. And um, it's the chaos we need. It's it's somehow normalcy in the chaos, which I appreciate. Um the other weird, funny thing that I wanted to call out is, is just an odd stat before we talk about how great the defense was, because I just don't want to forget it. It's been, Michigan State's played five football games, and they have one rushing touchdown this year, and it came from Tyler Hunt, the former punter. Oh, kicker. my God. What a stat. <laughs> it's amazing stuff. What a stat. But let's go back to the defense because they do deserve a shout-out. So much so that Antoine Simmons um, was named Big Ten Defensive Player of the Week, which he's just a – we talked about uh, Antoine Smith for Detroit Mercy being a walking bucket. This guy's a walking tackle. Um, he's averaging, like, over 10 a game. Incredible. I think he was hurt for one of the five games for part of it, so it should be even higher. Um and Shaq Brown, um, he he's talk he's playing his way into some NFL draft boards for down the line. One thing about Shaq Brown, before I even talk about him as a player, his Twitter handle is incredible. Shakespeare twenty nine, I believe it is. Wow. Like I've been looking for a nickname for some time. You would have think something Tupac related, but the, for him to go for Shakespeare was really, I respect it deeply. Um, I'm proud. But yeah, I'm just. I mean, Listen, this, we've said it all year is what this team needs to do is they need to win the time of possession, they need to run the ball, and they need to win the turnover battle. And that's what they were able to do today. And Shakur Brown now has all of Michigan State's interceptions this year. I think he has all five of them uh, thus far. And you do have to wonder at what point, I mean, maybe physically he's not what a Darquez Denard or a Trey Waynes or any of those guys were, but you got to wonder at what point you just stop throwing his way. When he's the only one that's making plays – in this secondary, or, or at least the one making the biggest plays, I should say. Um, yeah, just he, he, he helped Michigan State, you know, d- do something I think a lot of people were surprised they were able to do. And that was make plays on, you know, take the ball away from a turnover, uh, cautious Northwestern team thus far. Um, but yeah, defensively too. I mean, I thought once again, the run defense was super impressive. I think we're at the point now where we can say that that's just a good group. I mean, it's just a good group. Yep. And this team has started to improve on its fundamentals all the way around too. A couple of guys that jumped out at me. Um, Mike Fletcher, once again, I think jumped off the page. I don't know that he registered a sack or anything like that. Maybe it's just because he's so damn big, but he was in on a lot of plays. Uh, defensively. Again, I don't know that he got to the quarterback. MSU as a team is still not great about not great at at that thus far. Um they didn't give uh, Payne Ramsey a ton to think about today, but 
Uh, Fletcher, I thought is, is clearly an impact player of the future. And then Angelo Gross, uh, true freshman early enrollee from, I believe from Ohio, um, playing a lot of that nickel corner spot and in a 425, obviously, uh, a very important place in the defense, um, came up and man, made some, um, some really impressive open field tackles on Northwestern's uh receivers i you know northwestern likes to do kind of those swing screens to the inside receiver um you know just kind of like a turnaround to throw it right away off the snap and he was there to blow up a couple plays there there were a few that if they got away from him you know we're talking you're talking chunk plays which is something northwestern didn't do a whole lot of uh so you could have been talking about a big momentum changing style play and you know instead you're talking about a really impressive tackle from a from a true freshman which is Again, when we look at this Michigan State team, we think about the future. Seeing stuff from redshirt freshmen and true freshmen is maybe the most encouraging part of the whole thing. Yeah, absolutely. Um, that's those are the things we're looking for or keeping an eye on. Fortunately, there was a, a W that came this one. A couple more shout outs quickly that we want to give is one. Drew Beasley, who had a huge sack, two actually in the game. But one at the very end of the half, the end, uh, and basically ended the Northwestern drive and brought it to halftime. Northwestern was poised to put another field goal on the board and cut it yep. to a one possession game. And every point mattered in this game. And that was just absolutely huge. So, um, shout out to him for that. And then Matt Coughlin, um, yeah. kid hit two, um, from deep, uh, three for four on the day. And now 101 for 101 on extra points. So congrats to him on that. Congrats to him on that. Congrats to him on making maybe the ugliest field goal you'll ever see in your life. The second that what it turned out to be the game winner came off his foot, I'm like, that is going to be 40 yards yep. west of the of the goalpost. And then I literally didn't know it went in until I saw the guys raise their hand, until I saw the umps raise their hands. Like, oh, great. Sweet. Um, but yeah, huge shout out to all those guys. I mean, this was an impressive win all the way around. I mean, I, I think the most exciting part is, you know, not only what it does for Mel Tucker from a proof is in the pudding standpoint, what it does for this team from a confidence standpoint, but just, you know, to, to prove to them and to show these guys that and to know that this team can win and this style of play can win without the top-level talent is super encouraging. And it actually kind of made me come to this kind of a realization with Mel Tucker. And, and again, we're five games in, but there's a lot of Georgia, not surprisingly, Mm -hmm. what Mel Tucker is doing and the way he is trying to build his program. When you look at the University of Georgia and, and what he was a part of, certainly when he was there and what they've done ever since, it's they always play a style of football that is uh, safety first is a good way to put it. Uh, they play in a lot of ways not to lose. They play to control the clock, run the ball, set the tone, win the turnover battle, have bigger, faster, stronger athletes than you. And you can see a lot of those same building blocks in what Bell Tucker is trying to put together in East Lansing. If he's able to get this even similar type of talent to what they have in Georgia, that plan is going to work out 
I would think pretty well. Dude, but if he can't do it, you're going to see some real this type of real volatile football for a long time because you can play this style when you when you have the hog mollies to do it. You can play that run the ball, be cautious, you know, only take a few deep shots a game type of type of football, not get too creative. Um, and then defense, you know, not blitz a ton, just kind of, you know, play your stuff and, and go from there. You can do that when you have a lot of talent. If you don't, you're going to lose teams. You're going to lose to teams you shouldn't lose to. And, and it could get ugly. And then you're going to turn around. And when you can actually match up with a team like they match up with Northwestern, you're going to beat some teams that are, you're going to surprise some people. So uh, I think one of his, one of Tucker's biggest tests now moving forward will be, you know, how do we evolve that philosophy? How do you make it so that you aren't going through the, the staggering highs and staggering lows that we've seen in the microcosm of just these five games? Um, I think it'll be a very interesting challenge and it'll be, uh, you know, as we think about what this means moving forward with the program, you know, this is a huge win. It's great. Do not take a single thing away from this MSU team and what this, what this win could mean for them, but um, uh, kind of based on a lo- growing sample size now, I think it'll be interesting to see how uh, things evolve and maybe how things look in year two versus year one because we're already kind of at that point where we can start looking ahead. But long-winded way of saying uh, there's a lot of real potential on both sides of the coin here. Yeah, I mean, uh, you can be proud of this uh, program win. Um, and you can also say that t- what you saw was still not even to the ceiling of what this team can probably do. I saw a lot of mistakes, a lot of things left on the field, which is encouraging almost, right? Like yeah. it wasn't a perfect game and you well, still beat a top 10 team. I think one last thing real quick is, and this is what I wanted to say earlier, is I didn't see a big talent gap. I saw almost no talent gap between Northwestern, the number eight ranked team in the country, and Michigan State, who came in at one and three. What I saw was a team that was really good at doing the fundamentals versus a team that was learning a new system and maybe not as good at those fundamentals or basics. And I think it reared its head during this game. Some really stupid special teams mistakes on Michigan State's part, specifically Jaden Reed's part. Um, Some bad, bad stuff. And now they were able to overcome it. But um, I think what you've seen and the reason why Northwestern was maybe 5-0 and coming into this game in Michigan State was 1-3, despite having very similar talent profiles, I would honestly say Michigan State might even be more truly rawly talented, which is not saying a lot. But it, 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 it showed you that the floor at MSU could be really high if yep. they just do the smart things and play intelligently. Um, which is something they've not been able to do. And I think a lot of that falls on the coaches. So listen, if these coaches are, are more of what they showed this week, as opposed to what they've shown maybe in some other weeks, um, I wouldn't be surprised to see Michigan state become a consistently, you know, a program that is consistently right up there, but um, they've got to, they've got to do some proving because, you know, we've, we've seen that really low floor from them so far. So Austin, um, you know, we know, what we don't know is, is what's the best thing to do is when you line up against Ohio State. Yeah. And, and that, <laughs> because that's the talent gap, right? And you can kind of see how far it is. 
we don't know um, if Michigan State will be playing Ohio State this week. We're gonna we're gonna um, not give a preview. Or you know what? We're just gonna go around. We're, we'll get back to that. We'll we'll touch on that because there's a lot of craziness that went around, right? Yes. Okay, so let's first talk about notable national results, and then we'll go through the Big Ten uh, results quickly um, around the country. The Oregon Ducks. Uh, no. <laughs> your Ducks. My Ducks. Drop a silly one to Oregon State, their arch rival. Oh, I um, watched this game. I watched a lot of this game through the fog, I might add. It um, was wild, huh? It was not good. Oregon's not good. It kills me to say it. It's a real shame because they're wasting an incredible – I'm telling you, in, in uh, give it a year – what you're going to be talking about is a top five draft pick in Kayvon Thibodeau. The defensive end, he's just Miles Garrett. It's the same guy, uh-huh. uh, except he's younger and has a cooler name and plays for a cool university. Uh, they're just wasting him, and it's so sad. Um, they just don't have the quarterback talent. Tyler Shuff is fine. He's not great. Um, to Oregon State's credit, they just kind of ground it out. Like, yeah. Also, not good. But Oregon couldn't stop their running game. It was really incredible. I mean, Oregon State just was lining up and running the ball. The last 10 minutes of that game were so alarmingly Pac-12 after dark. Uh, it was – I could feel how uncomfortable you were, and I wasn't with you or speaking to you at any point during this game. Because it's the antithesis of Big Ten football. It was so bad. I mean, there was so many – Just horrible. Just horrible football. And it's like – they're, they were number, Oregon was number 15 and they're like, yeah, if they lose, the Pac-12 is just like not going to get even close to a playoff team. <laughs> that's, that's so sad. <laughs> it's like, yeah, if this piece of shit doesn't do it, nobody's going to do it. It's like, wow, that's, that's where we're at with the public perception of the Pac-12, huh? <laughs> it's pretty bad. Yeah, you could say it. Um, and, uh, what, I mean, there were so many mistakes at the end of that game, but not just by both teams, but by the, the referees oh my God. on it. It was incredible. If you can go, I encourage everyone to go check out the highlight or low lights of it because it's just overwhelmingly bad. Speaking of overwhelmingly bad, Austin, Texas. Things <laughs> oh, are bad. For my Texas. Longhorns. <laughs> the Longhorns. Drop another one. This time to Iowa State, 23 to 20. Iowa State qualifies essentially. Um, some wonky things would have to happen, but it essentially qualifies for their first Big 12 championship. And the last time the Cyclones won a conference championship was 1912. Well. Well. So the Cyclones are um, knocking on the door of changing history. It's been over 100 years since they won a conference championship. I, like, I don't know. I just think if I'm a fan of that university, I just think twice. I just wonder. And it makes, it's like being a Lions fan. You're just like, is this, we're one every hundred. Is this worth it? Is this worth it? I just don't know, but good for them. Good for Matt Campbell, uh, future Michigan head coach, Matt Campbell, right? Isn't that right? Isn't that right? Is that the joke? Um, That's what I was told. They all seem to be thinking, thinking that it is, um, uh, uh, just a guarantee, which I find hilarious in its own right, because why would you, why would you just believe that he would leave? Like maybe he's happy there. And by the way, maybe Texas takes him. 
Because Texas. Yeah. I mean, there's also Texas. like other jobs he could get that he's going to want instead of Michigan. So, oh, I don't know. Wait, wait, wait. The top songs, <laughs> the top songs in 1912. <laughs> Ready? Granny's knapsack. What a, what a ragging the baby to sleep <laughs> by Al Jolson. <laughs> That's so much better than anything I could have made up. There's more. Uh, that haunting melody, also by Al Jolson. There's Al only Jolson one was on a heater in 1912. <laughs> Al Jolson just slanging him out, man. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's impressive. Uh, I'm 21 yeah. today by Unknown, which is incredible that no one knows who wrote a top song. Someone that. was too drunk to remember they wrote a top 40 song. I'm that's, 21 today. Yeah. I can only imagine how those just thought-provoking lyrics surely went. And then finally, rounding out another hit that was called Waiting for the Robert E. Lee. <laughs> And I gotta tell you, when you have Civil War references, and you're, and, and you're closer in 1912 to the Civil War, then yeah, was, is then, that too soon? Like, are we? I don't even know. Are we? Are we canceling the "Waiting for the Robert E. Lee" song? I think we are. Incredible stuff. Plus years later, I think we're gonna go ahead and cancel that song. Yeah, I'm I'm good with that. I'm out on waiting for the Robert Ely, I'll be honest. <laughs> so glad we could do that, everybody. Um that it's was on all world's problems. A hundred years too late. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So and then finally, uh number two, Notre Dame. Kind of solidifying their their playoff odds, beating uh, number nineteen North Carolina thirty one to seventeen. I say that because if Notre Dame were to say lose to Clemson, if they had a rematch, could make a very real case that Notre Dame should still be in the playoff. Yeah, absolutely. And I will not apologize to Ian Book. I still don't <laughs> think he's very good. Okay. The fact of the matter is he's surrounded by a very, very good roster. And I, I have, I've, in case you were wondering, John, I know you were, uh, I've found my running back crush this year and it's Kyron Williams. Uh, number 23. Oh my goodness. Uh, for, for Notre Dame. That is, that is a really, really, really good running back. Like I always try to think of it as, you know, if I, if I could put one guy on my team, you know, from any position that maybe not, it isn't the best, but just like fits my, my general aesthetic. Okay. Who I want it to be. And it is 100% Kyron Williams. This dude can block like crazy. He's just a little jitterbug. He reminds me, he, he looks a lot like, Jeremy Langford when he runs, um, which I think is really all this is. Uh, but I, I, I like him a lot. They've got some really good receivers that Ben Skoranek, North, speaking of Northwestern, Ben Skoranek, former Northwestern wide receiver, um, having a really nice year for Notre Dame. I, I mean, he, he's doing, doing quite well. Got some, their, their tight end, their freshman tight end mayor is really nice. Um, Notre, listen, Notre Dame is every bit a good team. It's just that, you know, when push comes to shove and it's Trevor Lawrence versus Ian Book or, uh, mm-hmm. you know, maybe even Mac Jones versus Ian Book or, uh, Justin Fields versus Ian Book, I, you know, I just, I don't know. I don't know if that's the guy I'm going, I don't know if I'm going to ride or die with him. Now, that being said, I think Notre Dame's got the talent top to bottom on the roster to at least make any game competitive and not get smoked, but 
yeah, it's uh, the playoffs could be fun this year. Could be a really good foursome. Absolutely. Okay, so you had a running back crush. Mine is uh, Buffalo's Jared mm-hmm. Patterson, who had a legendary day on Saturday. Legendary. Uh, I couldn't watch the game. It wasn't. I don't think it was televised, but I was keeping track based on Buffalo's tweets because. <laughs> Because yeah, I texted you because I was like, dude, this has five, this kid has five touchdowns at halftime. Yeah, he, he had two hundred yards at halftime, didn't he? Yep, finished with eight touchdowns, tying the NCAA record, four hundred and nine yards on the day, which was uh, I think twenty one short uh, or nineteen short of the NCAA rec- tying the NCAA record, and only thirty six carries. And I say only because he was averaging eleven point four yards per carry. And this kid is 5'9", 200 pounds. It's amazing. Thick. A thick boy. He is quite thick. He's a junior, and um, this is going to segue me nicely because they are on Nebraska's schedule next year, Austin. And Nebraska dropped another one this week to our rival Iowa, 20-26. to And we got to talk about it. We t- I mean, we we did the hot seat last week, but Scott Frost, it doesn't get any easier next year. You can't sure. even write this off as a pandemic year because this is your third year, and not only do you play Buffalo and Jarrett Patterson, who is maybe one of the best running backs in the country, as we mentioned, they also play Oklahoma next year. So th- things are getting bad in Lincoln. Yeah, real shame. Uh, you just hate to see it. I don't know. All the analogies or all the, all the quotes here apply. Um, yeah, that, I mean, talk about a, uh, a pretty daunting schedule there, but I mean, okay. My takeaway from Nebraska, Iowa, frisky Iowa is all the way back. Oh yeah. All the way back, baby. Oh yeah. Come on down. Um, yeah, big time. I'm, I'm thrilled. Couldn't be happier. Uh, you know, the Corn Bowl staying where it deserves to stay. Awesome. What do you think they're ranked this week? Oh, ooh, 18? They'll be a little too high. They're 24. Oh, perfect. Right in the sweet spot. I don't think they're allowed to be between those two spots or, or ahead of 18. Yeah, Frisky I, oh, Frisky I was, oh, God. It's so perfect. 24? Mm-hmm. Just enough respect to lose. Absolutely. So shout out, shout out to the Hawkeyes. Um, I believe that's six in a row against Nebraska. Mm. That, that's, that's a shame. Over the uh, horn. Uh, Indiana took down Maryland 27 to 11. But, but at the cost, the cost was Michael Penix Jr. is out likely for the season. This yeah. Is the most, this is the most cursed program in the Big Ten, Austin. I I have to agree. That's just such a bummer. You're finally there, like, and as we'll talk about with Ohio State, like, very possibly already have a Big Ten championship game appearance sewed up, and you lose, you know, the guy who makes the whole thing work. Uh, it's it's just such a shame. You feel you feel so terrible for for him, and I don't feel bad for Indiana fans because I don't care because you're still Indiana basketball fans, but I feel terrible for Michael Penix uh, and his I, mother. You know, that nice callback, yeah. Um, and, you know, I think as Verbo Sajach on Twitter pointed out to me, Indiana fans are actually uh, 
just Notre Dame football fans and Indiana basketball fans. So <laughs> they still have Notre Dame going for them. They should be fine. Yeah, they're going to be okay. Uh, yeah, but it is, I mean, in, in all seriousness, I hope he, he is, uh, gets healthy and is better because that's, that's a real bummer. He's a bright, you know, a bright spot and a, a really good player with a great future. So I hope he, he's able to, to, to get healthy. ACLs are a dime a dozen nowadays, so he'll be okay. He can have mine. I'm not using it. Yeah, I'm certainly not using it. <laughs> so you mentioned that they could still make the Big Ten championship game, and you might, if you're a, you know, a, a, just a casual listener or follower of college football, you'd say, well, how could that happen? Well, Ohio State got a second strike. Um, they, their second game was canceled um, due to COVID-related, and the Big Ten says if you miss three, you can't play in the Big Ten championship game. So, uh, you know, Ohio State – kind of TBD on if they are going to be able to play Michigan State this week. And if they don't, then Indiana's all but in the Big Ten championship game against Northwestern, who is in because their game against Minnesota was canceled this week. So regardless of what happens, if Ohio State doesn't play this week, it's Indiana versus Northwestern in the Big Ten championship, which means, Austin, Yet another team made it to Indianapolis before Michigan, who lost 27 to 17 to the once previous 0 and 5 Penn State Nittany Lions. Do you have any thoughts? First of all, yeah, again, you you simply hate to see it. <laughs> um, of course, it, it's, it, it's it's very real conversation time. It's real conversation time. If you are a Michigan fan, what's up? Like, what's going <laughs> on? What are your thoughts? Where is this going? In the building it, at Michigan, you know, you, you have to have a very real come-to-Jesus moment. Is this what you want? It, do you think, realistically, can this get turned around? Or can it not? Is it in your best interest to uh, move forward and maybe not issue a contract extension. Nick Baumgartner did a, wrote a great article in The Athletic just overviewing the entire situation because Harbaugh is going into a lame duck year, which, as we saw with Mark D'Antonio and his retirement, you can has already surely been used against him on the recruiting trail. Do you have the faith that, you know, that you're going to be able to turn it around and – if so, are you going to give him a contract extension? And if you give him a contract extension, are you going to keep the rest of the staff the same? There are so many questions that need to be answered and so many if-thens in this situation that it's almost like, I don't know. I This is one of those things where I just as a lazy person, sometimes you'd be like, never mind, just don't even do it. Just walk away. I'd rather start fresh and throw the whole thing. I don't care rather than trying to fix it. And I honestly think that might end up being what happens with this team. I, I just don't know at this point how you're you're gonna you're gonna bounce back, John. You and I were talking about this before the podcast, and you said like, you, you know, we've described PJ Fleck as energy guy. We've described Tom Allen as the new energy guy, like all of that stuff. That was Jim Harbaugh for a long time, and I think that to me is the most, if I'm a Michigan fan, the most alarming piece of this whole thing is the energy is gone. It is gone from him. It is gone from the program. It is gone from the university. It's it, There's no hype. I mean, 
the only hype coming into this year was your stand, your Michigan Twitter stand saying Joe Milton was going to be a mix of like what was it, Cam Newton and I don't know some other superhero, and that was it. Like you didn't hear those reports. You didn't even hear the Michigan players hyping the team up. You didn't hear Harbaugh wasn't coming out and being outspoken. He wasn't doing weird shit in the off season. Like it's not there. The energy's not there, and I think it's a it is a potentially a sobering uh, reality for energy guys. If it doesn't work, like if, if it, like the Harbaugh and Tom Allen, like let's look at those two sides of that coin. If the energy guy thing works, you're Tom Allen and everybody yep. loves you and you are a hero and beloved at your university. Now the term works is obviously relative to the program. It works for Tom Allen because he's going to, you know, put together one winning season or a couple winning seasons in a row. Harbaugh nine and ten win seasons followed by bad seasons isn't works. If it works, great. If it doesn't work, all the energy's gone, and all of a sudden that you look a lot like a snake oil salesman. It does not look pretty. And I gotta think that those real conversations, those let's just move on type of things. Those are very real, have to be very real feelings in their building after losing. I mean, yeah, it's Penn State. They were 0 5. They were a bad 0 5. And you just got beat by double digits at home by them. That, to me, that is a sign of, a, and the lack of energy makes me think that Jim Harbaugh doesn't want to be there, despite whatever he might say. So uh, I'm expecting a, honestly, at this point, if he came back, I think I'd be surprised. Dude, you mentioned people using things to recruit against him. Two of his best recruits, things are going sour. Xavier Worthy, um, he visited Alabama this weekend and then today tweeted out no interviews. Yep. Um, J.J. McCarthy, their number one overall recruit and quarterback, this might be reading a little too far into it, but he took Michigan stuff out of his social media bios. So you want to talk about people recruiting against him. It's a very real thing and are going to go after his guys that have already committed because it's open season, man. Things are bad in Ann Arbor. And, you know, we talked about did things were bad in, in state college, but he gets to, Jim, James Franklin gets to have a mulligan in the way Mark D'Antonio did with the three and nine. Cause he got a ring. He's right. got a big 10 championship ring that, you know, and today, you have Harbaugh in an interview saying, um, "You got to. It's about sticking with the process. The process is very important to us, Jim. It's it's year six, bud. Yeah, like it, there's no process anymore. <laughs> like yeah. you are being processed. And, and those out. mulligans that he had, he used. Josh yep. Gaddis was a mulligan. Yep, he used that mulligan. He used the I'm turning over the play calling." Mulligan. He used the I've got uh, the no, f- former number one overall recruit uh, coming in as a transfer to play quarterback. Mulligan. He's used all the mulligans. Rashawn Gary, the number one overall player in the country, honestly doing very well in the NFL, did not do very well compared to how well he's doing in the NFL in college. Does that well, make sense? The, none of the. It's not even that his program as a whole hasn't lived up to it all of the hype and everything, but it, it's that the individual players that he is hyped that have been so highly recruited and the signing of the stars and all that stuff, who, 
I mean, Jabril Peppers is the only, and if you really want to get into the weeds, we can, but he's the only one you can really point to that you're like, okay, that guy was kind of what he was chalked up to be. And if you're a Michigan State fan, you, 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 you are like me and you don't actually believe that. But, um, that's, it's just a, a failure in so many ways. Like Daxton Hill, he's, he's good. Mm-hmm. He was the number one recruit in their class, and they all hyped him up like he was the next coming, and now he's he's good. He's good, mm-hmm. not great. And so that to me, you know, uh, I don't know. I suppose his last mulligan is firing Don Brown and saying, you know, I can get a better defensive But that's also been the hat you've been, you know, you know, the rack you've been hanging your hat on for how many years that you have this elite defensive coordinator. So I don't know. It's just time, like I, I don't know what, lever he can pull that's going to make things better unless he goes out and just has a great season but to at the next year and comes back and has a great season but i just at this point in time there's really not a lot of reason if you're a michigan fan to be terribly hopeful about that yeah to make matters worse uh they're shutting down the football facilities because um it's concerns about uh covid i'm unsure um if what's going on there with that. So they may not even be able to play this week against Maryland, a very winnable game. Um, so who knows how the season ends for them. Um, we'll, quick, we'll, we'll move on to quickly to Minnesota, Wisconsin, which was also canceled of note because it was the longest running series in college football history. And that's uh, yes. really sad. And then uh, finally to round out the big 10 Rutgers beat Purdue 37 to 30. Um, if you're a longtime listener of the pod, we called Rutgers Rucker for quite some time. And, and people asked why. And, you know, part of it was we didn't have a reason. It was mostly just <laughs> disrespectful. And, but I think deep down, what we didn't realize what we were doing, Austin, is they hadn't ever earned the S. Fair. And they needed to beat Michigan State in either football or men's basketball to get that S, you know, the Spartan S. So they could be Rutgers. And they did that. They are officially Rutgers. They are officially a competent program. You know, they beat Purdue straight up. Um, good for them. Good for Rutgers. And that's the nicest yeah. thing I've ever said about them. You know what? That's fine. They deserve it. I'm personally, I'm very glad they beat somebody in addition to Michigan State. Correct. Uh, it feels good. Yep. Um, and yeah, listen, it's, it's, it's amazing how raising the floor just a little bit, adding a little bit of competency can make such a big difference. Like going yeah. from an E to a C is a big deal. And uh, Greg Schiano is, is very much that C. <laughs> and he will always be that C. Let's be very clear. So, uh, yeah, he's not going to his, – his, he has a ceiling. Um, so upcoming games, um, only game I'll have you watch out for in, at, around the country is Liberty at Coastal Carolina. My Shan clears, uh, ranked number 14. I, I can't say enough about him. Hope that they are able to crack the top 10 because that's just an awesome feel good story and everyone can get on board with hating Liberty University. And then, um, uh, upcoming around the Big Ten, uh, as we mentioned, Minnesota canceled last week. And again, this week, um, every Big Ten team uh, that has had a COVID problem has had to can't miss two straight weeks. So Minnesota, this would be their second straight week, um, which is kind of a watch out for Michigan state against Ohio state. Cause you'd like to believe that Ohio state uh, could play, but 
every other program who's had this problem has had to sit out too. So not sure if that's going to be able to happen. Um, Nebraska heads to Purdue. I'm not saying Scott Frost is coaching for his job, but I am saying this is feeling like a must win. I mean, yeah, I don't, I don't disagree. Two of the hottest names of what 2017, Jeff Brom and Scott Frost squaring off in a boring game. Um, I don't, I still don't think they're going to cut it. They're going to fire him after this year, kind of no matter what, because I just don't think it's going to happen. But you do have to wonder at what point, uh, you might consider doing such a thing. Yeah, this is a big, I mean, this is, this is a, listen, if you can't beat Purdue. Yep. How are you expecting to hang with the big boys? So. Well, and then Penn State travels to Rutgers and um, Penn State at 10 and a half point favorite. Um, you know, they probably should win this game, <clears throat> but uh, Rutgers has played Penn State tough. Um, hey, hey, maybe uh, Rutgers pulls pulls off an upset this week. Who knows? That would be awesome. Personally, I'll be rooting full on for Rutgers. Absolutely. The nail on the James Franklin coffin, I think. Well, it would be tough to overcome that one. Yeah. Um, Iowa plays heads to Illinois. Frisk, this has you know frisky Iowa bumping up to you know <laughs> that that eighteen in the country all over it. Don't you yeah. think? Feels or, or it has Iowa losing by fifteen or some stupid number uh, because they went full Iowa. So it's yeah. very, this also could have that. It's one or the other. Iowa is, is never a uh, easy puzzle to figure out. So this could be either true friskiness or just, uh, I don't know, the more standard Iowa approach. <laughs> um, Indiana heads to Wisconsin, and Indiana will be playing with their backup quarterback, Jack Tuttle. Um, Wisconsin looking to Great rebound. Football. What's that? Great football name. Oh, yeah. Amazing name. Uh, Wisconsin looking to rebound after their seven point output against Northwestern, uh, two weeks ago. Um, you know, Wisconsin's a big fave in this one, 14 and a half points. Uh, you feel bad for Indiana, but then again, Indiana is, like I mentioned, they're in the Big Ten championship, even if they lose, um, because if Ohio State doesn't play. So, something to consider. But you know what? I lied. I lied to you guys, and I'm sorry for doing that, because there is a scenario where Maryland can make the Big Ten championship game, folks. And it goes like this. Maryland plays Michigan this week. If Maryland is able to win that game, and they must play, it can't be a no, no, uh, a canceled game. If Maryland wins that and then beats uh, Rutgers, I believe, to end the year, and they finish the year, uh, I believe, four and two, that is better than Indiana's five and three if they were, Indiana was to lose to Wisconsin and then Purdue which would give Maryland a better overall win percentage, even though they lost the head-to-head, and put them in the Big Ten championship game against Northwestern, the team they lost to 43-3. to That is Big Ten football, baby. We are looking at a, a, a very appropriately 2020 Big Ten championship matchup here. I think we can all agree. Mm-hmm. The combination of Northwestern and then either Indiana or Maryland is uh, going to be pretty – entertaining um i think it brings up an interesting question so ohio state let's say you know isn't isn't eligible but let's say they go undefeated so they didn't you know whatever finish five and oh mm-hmm. uh, 
if there's no obvious fourth team, does the college football playoff consider just going with Ohio State? I think one thing has to happen, Austin. In this scenario, Ohio State would be playing either Iowa or Wisconsin in that crossover game. Right. And they they would need to win by 40. Mm -hmm. You know, much in the way they had won in their Big Ten championship games in the past by such a damning margin that they were all but put in. Mm -hmm. You know, there's that opportunity. The other thing to consider is that Cincinnati in our friend Luke Fickle. Yeah. Could be 10 and 0. Yeah. And it's hard to overlook that because while the American Conference is not Power 5, it's the closest thing. You mm-hmm. know, it, it is a realistic possibility that an American Athletic Conference team could make the playoff whereas the you know the Sun Belt Conference USA MAC it's not. So I think that's really it would be put everyone in a really tough position. A lot of fans in Ohio in a really tough position. When you put up a ten and O team versus a five and O team, I don't know. Yeah, I think that's a great point. It would be really hard to put them in over Cincinnati, even if obviously the you know the talent level is not the same and obviously the quality of the team is not to the same echelon. But like yeah, ten and zero. I, I don't know if you can put them in over that, but I think I think outside of Cincinnati, if if they're done and it's a bunch of other one loss teams, and like you said, I had almost forgotten about that crossover. That crossover setup turning out to potentially be really important. Mm-hmm. Uh, if that you know doesn't come to fruition, you know if they, if they were to win out and be whatever six and zero and win that game in big uh, fashion, I think college football playoffs going to put a yeah, I think it's a very real possibility that they um, that they put Ohio State in, uh, I, and I think it's probably chiefly because there isn't that fourth team. If it's not Cincinnati, that is really like jumping well, as a as a ironclad team. Let's walk through them, the candidates. Um, BYU is going to be nine and zero, probably ten and zero, but there's just their schedule is so bad that we can't realistically put them in which is too bad, but it's just reality because they have a damn good quarterback who yep. is a lot of fun. Um, they're the op- they're the option, one option. Um, Texas A&M, um, mm-hmm. they are 6-1. Uh, you know, they are in the, the SEC uh, West, I believe. There is a scenario where they, um, I suppose, you they could backdoor their way in. To the to the college yeah, football playoff, Bama have to lose, wouldn't it? Well, no. I mean, Bama would make it to the big ten, big ten, uh, excuse me SEC championship game, win it. Oh, you oh, I got gotcha. you. And and you could you could potentially make a case. I believe that would have been A uh, and M's only loss. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, I I don't know. They have they have a lot of work in front of them. And the um, SEC is not particularly good this year. The other option that kind of puts puts everything you know, would end the conversation is if if Florida yeah. were to, to beat Alabama in the SEC championship game, then Alabama's in and so are they. Um, yeah, you're absolutely right. So, so yeah, Texas, Texas A&M, like I mentioned, there is, there is a backdoor, you know, possibility for them. 
Um, as I mentioned, they have one loss this year to Alabama. It was pretty bad, 52 to 24. But if they beat Auburn and then uh, Tennessee, um, there's there's certainly a chance, I guess. And then, you know, the last uh, real, I guess, participant opportunity is, is like we mentioned, Cincinnati. So yeah. there, there aren't a lot of options. <laughs> yeah, there's USC really not. Is 3 and 0. It, it's interesting. You, you know, USC is 3 and 0. I, I don't know if they're, um, really any good. They would have to play like five more games, I think, right. to even be considered. So, I mean, it, it, the safest thing and the thing that the committee is going to be hoping for is Bama, Notre Dame, Clemson, and they're probably going to hope Florida beats Alabama so they can just not have to worry about it. Yeah, I agree. But I, I would say, I, I suppose I would put Florida definitely above Ohio State if they were to pull that off. And I think, I think you have to take Cincinnati over Florida. Well, not over Florida. If Florida beats Bam, I think that usurps that, in my opinion, usurps Cincinnati's 10 and 0. But, um, yeah, so Ohio State, listen, you guys are the ones that wanted to play. So it kind of feels like your fault. Yeah, I don't, I mean, I'm not going to point fingers, but, uh, <laughs> but it's your fault. Yeah. Well, we won't be doing a preview versus Ohio State because, frankly, it seems very unlikely that the game will take place. Mm-hmm. Um, and if we do, maybe we'll come back and do like a 20-minute preview pod or something. I don't know. Um, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, I can give – I have my thoughts are very limited. Ohio State's really good. Yeah. But yeah, we'll come back and do a 20-minute or if, if uh, the game actually takes place because, you know, why not? Because it's fun. Sure. Um, all right. Well, one final shout out before uh, we end the the hockey team is, is you could argue ranked 24th. There are other receiving votes votes and they only do top 20 in hockey, but I'm oh. going to throw that out. They're 24th in my book and our third son gets a shout out just for, just for being them. Proud of you. Proud of you, kid. 24th <laughs> is a perfect place. Perfect. We, we love 24th. That, you know what that means? Frisky Sparty. Doggie. Frisky Spartans are here to stay. Um, that's a beautiful thing. Oh, um, man. All right, John. Enjoy some hoops, huh? Uh, yeah. A C- couple big games this week. These will be fun. Um, let's go. Let's get that dub. So that's about it. Got any, anything else before we sign off? No, man. I hope we play Ohio State and beat them because there may be a chance that they play, but we don't know who's um, unable to play on their team. And who knows? I just will leave you with this. Mel Tucker ran Jim Harbaugh out of town and beat the Big Ten champion Northwestern Wildcats in the same year. That would be something. Sure would. (laughs) Sure would. Uh, Things you love to see for a 1,000. That would be great. All right, guys. Well, as always, thanks for sticking with us. Uh, for John, this has been Austin, and we'll catch you next time. See you.